the, the privilege of introducing our speaker this morning. This particular family, Greg, you'll be glad to know that they put up with me for <laughs> 10 years in Singapore. And I lived with them most of that time. And I'm still here to tell about it, and so are they. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Jerry and Verla are dear friends of mine from Singapore. It was her, I'm here this weekend because their eldest daughter got married yesterday, and we were here for the celebration. I have several friends from Singapore as well that are here, and um, other people that work in Singapore that are here. Uh, Jerry Verla's daughter, Hannah, just came in. Uh, a young lady, Julie, back there in the back. I don't know where Maggie went, but her two girls are here. Oh, Maggie's at the door waving at us. James is over here. He's responsible for the marriage. <laughs> That's a heavy responsibility to have, James. Yeah? We're so grateful. We're so grateful. Uh, Bernard and, and uh, Melissa in the back that work with Jerry and Verla. And the people right behind Verla, I met them this morning, but I don't really know them. So I can't really introduce Peggy and Tom. Peggy and Tom. Okay. And I don't know how. And did Aunt Jerry come? No. No. Okay. So Jerry's going to be speaking this morning. He is, I don't even know what your title is anymore over there, Jerry. But he works with the School of Biblical Studies. In 1989, he came to Kona, Hawaii to do a nine-month school, in-depth study of Scripture. And since that time, he has been teaching and leading that school in Singapore. Um, he has an insatiable desire for the Word of God. And to hear him speak, uh, he came to, when he was in Myrtle Beach a couple of weeks ago, he came and spoke to our DTS. And they got fired up. They said, you mean I can find all of this in the Bible? <laughs> I, can, I can look and I can find this? And so I want you to welcome this morning. My yeah, yeah, I got a problem here, so. I got a problem here, so I can talk some more. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You've trained from Joe, haven't you? Okay, both of them have worked with me in Singapore with the King's Kids that we brought here uh, many years ago. And Helen, the gal that got married yesterday, was on that team, which is really fun. Uh, and, um, and then there's a, an older group, Eternal Splashes. They've been involved with that. Um, our, my friend James over here, uh, he and his family, you remember the story that I gave you a few years ago when I got to go back to Singapore. And that family was instrumental in making that happen. Very much so. So I don't know what they're trying to do over there. You're gonna, oh, Verla's got some things to say. She can always talk. Yes. Yeah. You know, the poor, poor Jerry, when we lived together, he said, honey, can I get a moment with you? Because the two of us. Yeah. <laughs> and Greg is not surprised at all. Yeah. But I'll just tell you what we do in Singapore. He is the director of the School of Biblical Studies in Singapore. And we have a passion to see the Word of God get into the hearts of, of young people and old people. We have all ages that come. We had a lady from Brunei, which is kind of like, uh, you know, over there off of uh, Malaysia. She came, she was 72, I think, and came in and did the New Testament with us this year and is doing Bible study in Brunei, which is a Muslim country. And um, so that's part of what we do. And, and we 
help to plant Bible schools. We have a, a one in Indonesia. He'll go and teach in November in that one. Uh, but we just want to see God's word really get into the hearts of people, that they'll live it out and that they'll share God's word. I think you know that many churches nowadays don't have Sunday school anymore, so people don't, aren't, you know, Bible study is begin, becoming obsolete, and we want to see that ended and see people getting into the word. Uh, Youth of the Mission Singapore, we also have Mercy Ministries. We have a medical boat in Indonesia on a river, and we, uh, Hannah, our daughter, was on that a few times, and we have been on that. And that is to, to it's with five um, Muslim villages that we visit uh, once a month. We've been doing this about three years now, and we've seen some people come to the Lord, Muslim people come to the Lord, and begin to disciple them. And we have uh, ministries within Singapore, also in the Red Light District, and we have discipleship training, which she's involved in in Myrtle Beach even, too. Uh, So we're really helping young people to uh, learn to know God and make him known and to live it out in their daily lives. And uh, I work, James and I are from the same church, James Ong. We're from the same church in Singapore, and I'm in charge of... um, of the children's ministry. I love children. I love to see people, children meet Jesus. And I was so happy to see the kids, the kids up here this morning. And what a blessing the generation. Psalm 145 talks about from one generation to the next, we need to declare the goodness of God and declare what God has done in our lives. And I have a passion for the elderly to give their testimony to the next generation, no matter what age you are, there's somebody younger than you that needs to hear how you met Jesus, how God has worked in your life. And that's where that, that can be a seed of faith to a young person to know that God is still alive and active and he's working in our hearts and lives. So if you haven't told your testimony to someone lately, you need to find somebody and pray, pray today. God, who do I need to share my journey with? Just even if it's a short thing, but it will bless someone else. And so, did you get that going, honey? Yeah. Well, isn't that so <laughs> good? Yeah, that's a treasure. Okay. Well, are you going to sing? Yeah, we're going to sing one song. Okay, they're going to bless nice. us with some music before Jerry starts to teach. Okay. You know, uh, we have to stay close to him. She asked me this morning, will you sing? And I said, well, we've only got one song that, that we can do a cappella that we really know. And it's a hymn. But it's, it's, it's the old hymn close to thee. Hymn just means it's an old song. Yeah. <laughs> it's about him. Okay. Churchy word for an old song. Yeah. So we're going to sing this and just, just draw near to him. Draw near to him as we sing this. Thou my everlasting portion, more than friend or life to me. All along my pilgrim journey, Savior, let me walk with Thee. Close to Thee, close to Thee, close to Thee. Close to Thee, all along my pilgrim journey, Savior, let me walk with Thee. Not for ease or worldly pleasure, nor for fame my prayer shall be. Gladly will I toil and suffer. Only let me walk with thee. 
Lead me through the veil of shadows. Bear me o'er life's fearful sea. Then the gate of life eternal may I enter, Lord, with Thee. Close to Thee, close to Thee, close to Thee, close to Thee. thee. Then the gate of life eternal may I enter, Lord, with Thee. Close to Thee, close to That was an extended introduction by my missionary wife there. She got me involved in missions about 32 years ago or so with her family's passion for missions, her family background connected with Wycliffe Bible Translators and with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. They have long-term missionary people who live all their married lives and all their children's, you know, growing up lives in the Philippines, in Peru, in South America or Central America. And and Easter Island, if you've ever heard of Easter Island, that's the nation of Rapa Nui, which means the big Rapa. And, uh, <laughs> and it's a uh, big island, big island, that's the name of it. In Hawaii, we call the uh, island called Hawaii the big island. If you're in Hawaii, the island of Hawaii, they call it big island. We're here in the big island. And in directly south of there, opposite across the equator, uh, from Hawaii, Big Island, is a country called Big Island. That's Easter Island. And, and the Cook Islands are kind of neighbors to Easter Island. And uh, we lived in the Big Island of the, of the Cook Islands also for some years. Uh, years ago, that's where our daughter Hannah back there was born. She's a Cook Island citizen girl over there. So, Kiorana, Tatokatoto, Iteroma, Ototeatua, Irunga, Iterangitete. That is everlasting life to you in the great love of our God on the tippy top of the highest heaven. That's how you say hi in Cook Island language. So, anyhow, the Cook Islanders told me wherever you go, you you gotta say hey bo, and uh, and uh, you gotta tell them our Cook Island hey bo, you know. So I learned that down in South uh, Carolina last week. Hey bo, I mean, they say it there. Well, here you just say hey. I'm hoping that my passage of scripture and stuff will actually appear this morning. Ha! Thank, thank God for that working. Today, uh, without correlation, without pre-preparation, Bill and I were on the same wavelength with God in, in thinking about what we to share about. In the song we sung earlier, the Hosanna, Hosanna song about, hear the sound of hearts returning to you. We're calling to God that he would listen to that sound of hearts returning. Now, that's kind of metaphoric, right? What is the noise does a heart make? A thump, 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 you know. But a heart returning to God makes a different kind of a sound somehow. In the, in the mind of the writer of that song, right? Hear the sound of hearts returning to you. And in the history of the scriptures, there were many times when God's people had to be called back to return to the Lord. One of the people who did that was a man named Zephaniah. Now, how many of you have heard of Zephaniah before? How many of you read Zephaniah, the book of Zephaniah? This year. (laughs) 
Okay, the book of Zephaniah, I'll take you about 12 or 13 minutes to read. Three chapters long. It's one of the very short books in the Old Testament. So get it in somewhere this year, okay? Force yourself through the whole book of Zephaniah, you know, this year. All right, maybe before you sleep tonight. That would be a good thing. But Zephaniah was a prophet. That means, you know, he invests things and he makes money. No, that's not right. My friend back there can tell you more about that. Uh, That's a different concept of prophet, right? And maybe prophecy, I don't know. Well, he was a prophet. And oftentimes we have some preconceived ideas about prophets and preconceived ideas about God, too. And we need to explore those things. We had that precious girl here sharing uh, earlier about her concepts and how they've been changed so dramatically by life here and time with you. And you have been the influence. You have, I want to say, to cut to the chase, you have adorned the doctrine of God, our Savior, to that girl. You understand what I mean by adorn? Right? You've dressed it up. You have decorated. You made Jesus knowable to someone who does not know Him. Right? That little girl came from a do-not-know-Jesus place to a bunch of people who know Jesus. And she couldn't help but pick up the fragrance and all the other four out of five senses of the impact of Jesus in your lives into her nostrils of her spirit. You understand? We're being a bit flexible. You know, we've been talking about that word today. With our meanings, word uh, double meanings of words. Word play. Word play. All children love play. Isn't it true? Young people, do you like to play? Who taught you? Who taught you to like playing? Who taught you that play is fun? It's built in. You know already fun when you know it. When you're having fun, you know it, right? Yeah, that's right. Very good. Your faces are looking funner already. You know, just from talking about it. And, uh, you know, that girl started to pick up on this thing called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God had a message for the world. Now, the people of Israel in the Old Testament time were God's people, and yet they got wayward. And they got fouled up and kind of clogged up like, uh, like heart disease or uh, you know, cholesterol buildup or whatever you might get from too many hush puppies <laughs> and uh, too much Brunswick stew or whatever. And they needed correction. And it was loving correction that God sent to them. He even promised them through Moses, if you get off track, which I know you will, very loudly, Moses said that so loud in his book, Then I'm going to raise up prophets among you and they're going to shake you up. They're going to speak for me. They're going to point. Prophets point, you know, put up your index finger. Say prophet. This one's for the prophet. If you do it on your left hand, you can see it's a pointing finger, right? Prophets point to the truth, point the way, point out error. They point. Okay. Uh, The five fold gifts in, you know, Ephesians four is about apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. The apostle is the opposing Digit means he can get in the way of all these guys. No, I mean, he he can help them accomplish their job. He can teamwork with any one of them very well. You understand me? The apostle is like the thumb. The prophet is that index finger points the truth, points the way, points out error, points correction, and points to God, yeah, especially. And then the evangelist gets there first. He's the longest one. He gets there first. Then the... uh, the pastor is about relationship building and maintenance. 
Building and maintenance is a department usually, right? But building relationships and maintaining relationships with pastoral work. Then the teacher is the last one listed there. He opens the ear <laughs> for understanding to happen. Right? So that's the five-fold gifts of Ephesians 4. Now, uh, it's important for us to see that a prophet who we're talking about today, Zephaniah, is a neglected guy. Now, it's not fun to be neglected, right? Who wants to be neglected? We're going to be so happy for Zephaniah by the end of today because here, 37 of us, uh, all who are paying attention, are going to have a, a little bit more firm grasp on Zephaniah than, than we had the earlier this morning. Because I want to talk to you about this guy, Zephaniah, what he did. Now, if you do a little historical study on him, you'll find out he was somebody important. But let's go on. Now, this looks a bit Christmassy, and I know it's not Christmas time yet. We haven't even had Thanksgiving yet. And... Uh, we're looking forward to Thanksgiving because we're going to have a third wedding reception around the time of Thanksgiving right. <laughs> for the wedding that happened just yesterday. And uh, so I chose some Christmassy theme for you. God's greatest surprise for the world was what? Jesus Christ, right? The Christmas present of God to the whole world. God so loved the United States. No, that's not what it says, right? God so loved the whole world that he gave Christmas present, right? Gave the greatest gift for the greatest purpose. Amen? So that's central, and we need to know that if we're believers. Now, when we talk about prophets of God, we're talking about scary sort of guys, it seems like. We have this kind of image of them, you know, like that character over there. Big stick, you know, and uh, a lot of anger on his face. Maybe very somber looking to kind of beat up. Some of them got beat up. This guy looks like he's kind of burning his thumb with a candle or something. I'm not sure. But, you know, we have these kind of austere, far-off picture in our mind of what prophets are. Prophets are those people who kind of scowl a lot. Ah, they point and they growl. You know? Can you growl with me a little bit? You, if, you're under, if you're under 14, give us a little pirate's growl. You know? You know? You know? Shiver me timbers and all that. Yeah, they were kind of the pirates of, the, of God in the Old Testament or something. We have that impression about prophets. But actually, the prophets were very tender people. Very tender. Some of them were called like the pride, crybaby of the Old Testament. A guy named Jeremiah. I'm Gerald, by the way, not Jeremiah. Jerry is short for Gerald. Jeremiah was a crybaby prophet. He was sobbing and groaning to God all the time. In fact, he even wrote a whole book called Lamentation, which means crying. Okay, five chapters of crying in poetic form. Wow, a lot of very carefully organized tears pouring down there. Okay, so. Many men and women have claimed to speak for God in their times. And in the Old Testament, we have these prophets who did speak for God. And, and one of them was Zephaniah. Now, sometimes we think of prophets like this guy right here. You know, like I say, pointing and grouchy. And maybe has some fallout there, like all his hair fell down to his chin. And we should think about this Zephaniah. Who was he? And, and actually, we're going to find out a few things about him if we did some historical study on him. He was a likable and like-minded relative of a king. There was a famous king in Israel's history late, late in the kingship. 400 years of history of kingship in Israel. And near the end of it, about 605, and in fact, a little before that, like 640, this guy was the cousin of King Josiah. Cousin. Do you have a cousin? Think of your most favorite cousin. Picture them now. Josiah was a favorite cousin uh, of Zephaniah. Zephaniah is a prophet who heard the voice of God and the Spirit of God speaking 
And God was speaking out a very strong warning in, in Josiah's time. Now, Josiah was a good king. Say good king. Good king, good king is a rare thing in the history of Israel. Yeah, I'm sorry, it rhymes and all that. I wish it weren't true. But good kings were rare. They had 40 kings. You know, they got a divided kingdom, meaning a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom because they were so fractured. It's kind of like what in other nations have been called a civil war. Yeah, I know we're in the south here, and I don't want to talk like a northerner, so I'll try and put on some southern. But we had a war a long time ago in this part of the world, right? What a tragedy. What a terrible tragedy. People in one nation, under God, indivisible, warring with each other. So terrible. In Israel, they had that. It split the nation. And then the northern kingdom went further and further down the drain of idolatry and wickedness, and they got swept away by a neighboring nation that conquered them. And still the southern kingdom went on in Jerusalem as its capital. And Josiah was the king there, but really the last good king. And after him, in a few short months, the nation went down the drain. From 609 to 605, they're gone. He got carried away to, to captivity, the ones that weren't killed. So, so Josiah, though, was a great king because he was a reformer. He was passionate for God, and he had power. Good passion and good power should do good things, and he did good things. But the people's hearts were not willing to embrace the changes Josiah brought about. They obeyed him because he had the power. He was like the police force of the nation. He could get anything done. He got it done externally, but it didn't change their hearts. You know the song we were talking about? Hear the sound, God, of hearts returning to you. The people's hearts did not return to God. Their behavior returned to sort of walking in the right steps as Josiah insisted, but it was what we call legislated righteousness. Can you say that? That's a hard one. Legislated righteousness. Well, that's a mouthful. Josiah legislated righteousness and the people did it. But God saw through that, that their hearts were far away from him. And when he died, foolishly actually, the nation went down the drain in a hurry. They had several bad kings after him, then they were swept away. Okay, so he wanted his people to get serious with God. Serious with God. The Christian people, you and I, we're people who are regularly claiming and proclaiming, I hope, that we are serious with God. Are you serious with God? It's my question. Zephaniah's question too. He asked people, are you serious with God? Let's look at a passage in Zephaniah. His passionate cry, what did he say? He said, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Have you seen a repeated word here, kids? Seek, right? What is seek about? I do it all the time now because I have husband's disease. I set something down, I have to seek it. I go searching all over for it. I finally ask my wife. She says, it's right there where you left it. You know, I saw it three times already. And sure enough, she's right. It's there. <laughs> seek righteousness, seek humility, Perhaps, this is a maybe kind of a word, right? You know, perhaps. Maybe, you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. He's saying the judgment of God is coming. In Josiah's day, Zephaniah is saying, God is going to judge this place. Jerusalem, the capital, the holy city and the holy land is going to get judgment from God. The God of Jerusalem is going to destroy Jerusalem. Zephaniah is having to proclaim that. Quite terrifying for them. And he said, Jerusalem is a rebellious, defiled, oppressing city, and it's got to go. From God's perspective, it's going to be destroyed. What a somber thing for him to say and have to say. 
And he wants to stimulate the people to respond to his cousin, King Josiah's reforms. Not just re- respond to them in obedience. That's good. Obedience is good, right? Let's say that. Obedience, obedience is, is good. good. But obedience from the heart. Only obedience from the heart. This is really going to please God. You're really going to please God, right? So in chapter 3, verse 14, there's a beautiful historical promise. God starts to uh, say beautiful things to them at the end of this book of Zephaniah. There's a turning point in chapter 3, verse 14. And so when you're reading Zephaniah tonight in 12 minutes or so, uh, be sure and pay attention from 3.14 to the end. Because there, God, through Zephaniah, Josiah's cousin, says a very beautiful thing. We're going to inspect that thing for a minute or two here. He says, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, like we have sung aloud today, in thanks and praise to God. Daughter of Zion is Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem. Shout, O Israel. By that time, all Israel was basically Jerusalem only. Because everything else had been captured and destroyed by others. Okay. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why should they? The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. See, two and a half chapters of prophecy about judgment. Zephaniah spoke out. You'll see it tonight in your homework. You know, um, some years ago, I had a blood test. They found that I have a T cell in my DNA. It means that I I have a teacher gene. I have a pathological need to give homework. Give homework. So you read Zephaniah, right? He, that is the Lord, he has cleared away your enemies. That was definitely not the case at the time he's speaking this. So it was a very future looking thing. We're surrounded by enemies right now in Josiah's time and Zephaniah's time. But he said, guess what? This is what I foresee. This is the prophetic foreseeing that the prophet foresaw in Zephaniah. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. He's not just on high in heaven, but he's among you. He's dwelling in the people of Israel. He's in the heart. He's embraced by the people. He's there. Okay. You shall never again fear evil. Today we sung a beautiful couple of songs about about total victory over fear. You know where those concepts come? From the Bible. Not just Romans 8, 28 either. And through 31. But right from the Old Testament, God was saying, it's going to be like this in the future. I'm going to have a people whose hearts have returned to me, who are going to walk fearlessly in life. Even in the downturns and the worst difficult times, they are going to know that I'm with them in that circumstance. And they're going to shine like a Christmas tree for me because they have adorned the doctrine that I've taught them, okay? Verse 16 and 17, we should get the picture. On that day, he says, see, looking forward, on that day in the future, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak, O Zion, okay? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. It's a lot of he will here, what the Lord will do. Repetition, by the way, is an emphatic tool in the scripture. When the author repeats and repeats something, he's, he's underlining it for us kind of preschooler style. When we're in preschool, we have to be shown again and again how to finger paint even. And in the Bible, God uses things that seem redundant 
to kind of poke us in the ribs a little bit and say, did you get it? Let me say it again. Let me say it again. And he will say things again and again. He's saying he's going to be very, very happy with his people. He's going to celebrate. Now, yesterday we had a wedding. David and Helen got married. And they went off on their honeymoon. They're flying today to, to Canada. And they'll be meeting us in Fresno in about a week for the second reception on the other side of the continent at the Pacific Ocean. And, and uh, we're excited about that. And this is the kind of rejoicing. What they're doing, honeymooning, getting to know one another, is what God is talking about here, about intimacy and fellowship with his dear and beloved ones. These words are really colorful. This word right here is extremely colorful. This one not for Sunday school. This is a grown-up kind of intimacy that God is talking about there with you and I. A very grown-up kind of intimacy. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Where's the gladness? In the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Not glad people, but glad God. Say that with me, okay? Glad God. Is God glad today over you personally? You know? If we're the people who call ourselves the people of the Lord, we need to know that God is very glad over us personally. Glad. Okay? He will quiet you. This is a very comforting kind of word. A very comforting kind of... Like, uh, like we calm down a puppy that's, that's uh, over-exuberant, you know, by petting it and caring for it. He will exalt over you. Exalt over you with loud singing. He will celebrate in his heart. The heart of God will explode with joy over you. When God sings loud, we're really going to hear it. Yeah, we're really going to hear it. Finally, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival. I'll gather you who mourn for a festival. Now, mourning and festival don't normally go together, right? So he's talking about change here. Change from mourning to gladness, yeah? So that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold. Okay, that's very emphatic there. That's, that's a bright word. Oops, I hit the wrong button there. I'm good at that. Behold is like open both eyes and raise your eyebrows real high. So look at your neighbor, okay? Push up your eyebrows real wide. It's a teacher trick to get you to stay awake. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. God will deal. Now, we have this teacher in, in Wyvern. His name is Dean Sherman. Really neat man. Lovely guy and longtime friend of mine. And he teaches on relationships and teaches about war- spiritual warfare. Uh, but I had a chat with him one time. And he said, you know, what I've learned, one of the principles I've learned is that if you defend yourself... God will let you. But if you don't defend yourself, God will defend you. And there's a contrast. <laughs> Who do you want defending you? You or God? Yeah. So this is kind of bringing that out. At that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. Not you will deal with them and have victory and be the mighty champion, but God will deal with all the accusation, all the guilt you deserve to be judged for. He will deal with it. And we know he did that in Jesus Christ. We sung all about that this morning, right? Okay, so, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. I was having a chat with this wonderful couple who we've been staying with for several days. They were talking this very morning about confession and how when we speak out the truth about our own failings, how it breaks the power of the devil over us as an accuser of us. Because we're being transparent about our fallenness, about our weakness, about our need for redemption through Jesus. 
It's a very powerful principle of liberty for the believers. And we need to speak it out to all pre-believers. I don't want to call people unbelievers. I want to call them pre-believers. Because we have a commission. The great commission. Co, we need to cooperate to bring the great truth of the gospel to the lost. Amen? Amen is a preacher's trick to make you think I'm almost done. Okay. Just want to identify that. Yeah. I will change their shame, that's our shame, into praise. That's a big change. And renown, also a big change. Okay. In all the earth, that's a big place. All the earth. Okay, then at that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. I love to see this S on the end of peoples here. All through the Old Testament, God talks about all nations, all peoples, all nations, all peoples, or all peoples, all nations. I used to say, if we could put our fingers like a doctor, you know, to feel our pulse, or if we could put a stethoscope like the doctor wears, that thing he puts in his ears and it's cold and he sticks it on your chest. If we could put that on the heart of God and listen, what we would hear is... All peoples, all nations, all peoples, all nations. Doesn't that sound like a heartbeat to you? That's the heartbeat of God running all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. All peoples, all nations, all peoples. All na- you can see it in that beautiful, precious girl who was here this morning, right? How God's handiwork is working in her life and working on her heart. And uh, drawing her to a knowledge of Him and a life lived in Him like we prayed for. Wow. When I restore your fortune before your eyes, says the Lord. When God says something, will he do it? He certainly will. He is the sovereign ruler. Okay, so God's own personal, very personal promises are made in the the end of this book. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, passionate thing from the cousin of the king to the people of God. And they, of course, did not listen very closely to Josiah or Zephaniah, but they did at least, some of them, retain Josiah's book. So we could see the faithfulness of God speaking out this stuff in that time. Now, we are in a time, too, which uh, we may consider a dark time. I don't know if it's a dark time or a very bright time for you, but whatever the circumstances are in our world, we don't need to focus on the darkness, but on the light of the world. Amen. Amen? Amen? And we are to be receptacles, filled up and overflowing, with that life that comes from him. So we see all these guys. The apostles of the New Testament were very much like the prophets of the Old Testament. And the, the prophets of the Old Testament were the apostles in their day, let's say. So get a different impression. It's not that bald-headed guy with the finger who's looking like that. That's not what the prophets were like. They were excellent people, tender-hearted and passionate for God. And they really knew the facts, the truth from God's perspective. That's what we need to be gaining. Seeing everything in this world through the filter of the truth. God's perspective, which we can learn as we study his word. What's God's perspective on the situation? When we look at the situation through his perspective, he has answers for us. What we should then do. Okay, so apostles build up the church for Jesus' glory and for Jesus' honor. These are some paintings that have been made about different apostles and uh how they got the word of the Lord. This one is about the Apostle John getting the revelation from, from God, you know, uh, to declare to the churches. And, you know, some of them you can see their name, Jude and uh, Peter over here. And, and uh, I think I have one of Mark as well, but I'm not sure if this one is the Mark one. I can't read the, the text. 
Well, these guys did what they did because they saw that God was the main thing, that Jesus was the focus of life, that serving his purpose and plan in their lives was the whole the whole uh, intention and focus of their lives and the right thing for them to focus on. Paul said in a cheery lesson to the very needy saints in Philippi in chapter 4, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. The same idea, not just in the best times, but in all times. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, this is very repeated in that book, but at the time Paul wrote this, he was about to die, be executed on um, kind of a false charge that was true in a sense, executed for his faith. It was true that he's a Christian, but actually it wasn't true that that's a criminal thing. And that's what was being debated. And he's going to be put to death for that. But he said, rejoice, even when I'm executed, you should go on rejoicing because I'm like a drink offering poured out on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Your faith will be the living thing. I will go to glory and be watching you from there. You know, and remember, my eyes are on you. So live holy lives to please God and, and reflect Jesus. OK, let your reasonableness, he said, be known to everyone. This word reasonableness very often is translated gentleness. Now, today, in our 21st century world, gentleness is kind of going down. Have you noticed that gentleness is not the norm in traffic? <laughs> Even less than it used to be, say, 10 years ago or whatever. Do you see less gentleness or whatever you might oppose to gentleness going on in traffic or in the, in the lane snatching, rush, 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 my three seconds matters more than your three seconds attitude on the road? The speed limit is always five to ten miles too low. Yeah, that kind of thing. We were recently driving in South Carolina. We crossed the border into North Carolina, just uh, below a little town called Hamlet. Hamlet kind of means little town, right? And Hamlet is in North Carolina. Just before we got to Hamlet, though, there was a tragic accident right in front of us because one guy decided that he could afford to speed like crazy and get ahead of this crew of cars that were going too slow for him because it was raining very hard. Unfortunately, lost control of his truck, smashed into a car. And a very, very tragic situation. But we were spared by a half a second, you know, behind that explosion in front of us. And it made me think somberly about ever speeding again. <laughs> now, I used to think, well, they know that there's criminality that's running around on the roads. So they probably designed the roads for the policemen to be able to go 100 miles an hour. So if I have to, I could probably creep up to 80 or 90 once in a while and not lose control of my car. Very wrong kind of logic. Okay. It's trying to justify speeding somehow. I don't want to be a stumbling block to people that think I'm going too slow. <laughs> pull over and let them pass. Man. Feel free to pull over and let them pass you at any time. Give way, give way. We have an advantage as believers. We're anchored in heaven in Jesus. So we can afford, it's key words I'm choosing here, we can afford at all times, we can afford to give advantage rather than take advantage. Those are the two options in life. You know, John, the best friend of Jesus, BFF of Jesus Christ. He said, you have two options in life. Love your neighbor or murder your neighbor. 1 John chapter 3 and 4. He said, don't be like Cain. You know, what is he saying when he says, don't be like Cain? Don't be a gardener? You know, don't be an animal husbandry guy? No. He's saying, don't be murderous. You know? And he's opposing that with loving your neighbor. 1 John 3 and 4. 
Secondary school, you want extra credit for your homework? You read that tonight also. Okay. So let your gentleness become your nickname. There was a guy in the New Testament named Joseph. He was a Levite. Now, Levites were experts in the law and stuff. This guy was an expert, and he was very famous. And I would say that he had perhaps more influence on the whole New Testament than any other person named in the New Testament. But you don't even recognize that uh, that he was important because he got a nickname. His nickname was Barnabas. Have you heard of Barnabas? Yeah. Barnabas' nickname just means Mr. Encourager. They couldn't say that in so many words, so they gave him that name. Son of Encouragement. You ask him or talk to him at any time, you get encouragement out of him. Poke him, needle him, bother him, call him up in the middle of the night, he will encourage you. Thank you for calling. Wish you call me again before sunrise. You know, that's Barnabas. Like you, Greg. <laughs> that is a very excellent kind of nickname to earn. And he's a guy who who let his his uh, encouragement nature, his gentleness, his readiness to serve others, be known to all. Made it made it the hallmark of his life. Paul is giving that instruction to the Philippians who have envy and rivalry and Yodia and Syntyche. Four, four problematic people in the Philippian church. And so he says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Doesn't this sound like Zephaniah's promise? He's read it and he knows it. See the invisible in life. This is one of the things we need to do as believers. If we read in Hebrews 11 about faith, we see that there are people who saw beyond the natural and they stepped out on it in confident trust because they saw the stability in God rather than in their surroundings, in their circumstances. Don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Now, peace seems like a connected to understanding, but here it's being set far above the issue of understanding. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God should be what rules our hearts, disregarding the circumstances that we are already aware of. Okay, so we are to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This comes from the book of Titus chapter 2 verse 10. But <clears throat> he says that we should in every way adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That means dress it up. Like we dress up a Christmas tree at Christmas, right? How many of you have a Christmas tree at Christmas time? Thank you for raising your hand. How'd you know I, I was asking you to do that? I'm just kind of exercising. I'm just stretching. Well, <laughs> thank you. Well, when you put your Christmas tree in your house, do you just stick it in there, at bait, and naked and bare as it is? Or do you put stuff on it? What do we call those things? Ornaments, right? Ornaments. Decorations, right? Adorning. Even how about lights? Put lights on there. Why? It's tradition. Used to use candles even. Nearly burn the tree down, right? But not just because it's tradition, but because they glow. They shine out. We want to see it in the darkness of the night and speak to us in that dark situation. There's a light in our world. This is the light of the world come into the world, right? And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. But he also said, you are the light of the world. And let your light so shine before men. Yeah? So, let's think about that. We should grasp God's great promise. We should reflect his love. And we should celebrate his peace. And uh, in that way, 
Let the fragrance of the peace of God waft onto people like that precious girl, Jinjin, that was just here. And many others around us. Yeah? Here's a Christmas tree doing its thing. Got lights, and there's a fireplace. Nice looking Christmas tree, right? Inspiration for you a few months away. Here's another one. This one's advertising Mountain Dew. (laughs) (laughs) We are to be God's Christmas tree. This is like the nation's Christmas tree a few years back. And uh, I made a little poem for you to think about. You know, outdoors or indoors, fancy or fashion, with or without lights, it shows off your passion, your Christmas tree. Wow, I, stay, I was working on that tree for 12 hours a day. I've heard people say that kind of thing. And in my childhood, we only had the, the foil, tinsel kind of icicle things. And my mother would one by one put them on the tree for like three hours. You know, We would just throw handfuls up there. In the morning, they were like magically cleaned up you know, and all individually hung. She'd stay up late, 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 decorating. Shine for his glory, no need to be outrageous, you know. Go tell his great story, his peace is contagious. This usually is a negative word, contagious, you know. Contagious disease center or something like that, right? You lock up those people there. I'm not going not gonna to tell any stories about where my wife was born or my daughter. <laughs> but contagious, there's a very positive aspect to contagious also. When we know God. And we have the love of God in our lives. When our hearts are returning to you, like we sung about, to the Lord, then our hearts should give off the fragrance of Jesus. There's a very interesting passage about fragrance Paul taught in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He talked about the, the fragrance of Christ being discernible alike by two different groups of people. And those who are, who are partaking of the kingdom of God, it is the fragrance of life itself, like a beautiful flower. But to those who refuse the kingdom of God, it's the deathly smell of doom. You know? And uh, that's a startling thing that should wake people up and make them realize they need the love of God in their lives. They need the redemption that only Jesus could purchase for us. So that's what we need to do. Go out and make him known. God's greatest uh, surprise for the world is Jesus. He dwells in you today. The hours of this day are his option, his opportunity to make himself known to others, to your most intimate friends, your spouse, your children, your parents, and also the total strangers at the gas station or wherever you go. Jesus can be perceived by how you proclaim him with your life. Amen? Amen. So thank you for listening to me all this while. I really appreciate that. And may God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this man, Zephaniah. Funny name. Long time ago he lived, but he was very serious about knowing you. And very serious about your view of things. And that your people would wake up and see what that view is. And live according to it. So today, Lord, we just give you thanks and praise for for the example we have in the prophets and also in the apostles. That they might be examples that live, that get studied by us all of our lives. So that we can learn the lesson from their good example and follow it. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Coaching us. Nurturing us protecting and preserving us, guiding us with good wisdom. We thank you for all these things, and especially for the love you've shown to us. That should be the greatest motivator for change in our lives, Lord. So as we enjoy uh, your wonderful goodness to us, would you be transforming and renewing our minds, Lord, that we would walk and reflect you in the world day by day, that lost people can find a way. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening, you guys. Thank you.